This is Talking Digital Industries, the podcast for technologies and trends that drive industrial enterprises. My name is Chris Brow. I have the honor to be your host. And I'm pretty sure by now everybody has caught on to the fact that climate change is pushing us to immediate action. And in today's episode, we want to take a look at an industry that is at the forefront of tackling climate change, the automotive industry. Yep. And we will discuss why technology, why innovation and data are key for the needed transformation within this industry to ensure a sustainable future. And we also want to know, you know, what solutions are actually needed to make this transition doable. So I am very happy to welcome two special guests who can tell us more about this. On the one side, we have Jan Burian. He is an analyst at IDC, which is short for the International Data Corporation. And his research focuses on the transformational impact of digital technology on operations, particularly on manufacturing and supply chains. And on the other side, we have Gunta he is the head of factory digitalization and the head of product carbon footprint at Siemens Digital Industries. First of all, hello to both of you. How are you doing today? Yeah, hello, Chris. Thank you for having me here. I'm doing good. Hi, Chris. And hi, Gunther. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to, to discuss this wonderful topic. Yes, wonderful. And uh, wonderful because it's so, I guess it's, it's just really important. And there's so much going on when we talk about decarbonizing the automotive industry. Both of you make the case for lowering emissions in production. And um, my, my question would be, is your motivation mainly professionally driven or are there also personal ambitions behind it? Who wants to go first? Jan? Personally, for me, this is really fascinating. Right. And in terms of sustainability, we can see this. It's really like a society, there's industries, they work together, they're close together, and they are creating really like a new future for the planet. Right. So this is really fascinating for me. Mm -hmm. And how about you, Gunther? What's your take? My ambition goes back to my time as a student. So during my work as an engineering research doctoral student, I also studied economics. And my favorite lecture at this time was the internalization of external effects. And uh, at this time, I was very worried uh, when I read the book Limits of Growth, released by the Club of Rome. And since then, my thoughts have always been revolved around the topic sustainability and sustainable technical solutions. So, Jan, let me start off with a statistic here and correct me if I'm wrong. But as far as I know, the automotive industry is responsible for a fairly large amount of CO2 emissions worldwide, 15% is what I researched. Does this make the automotive industry an outlier amongst other industries? What do you say? Thank you for that question. And I think you did a great homework. And I would say that say transportation industry or automotive industry is not the biggest CO2 emitter among the, all in the, the other industries or areas because energy almost like a third of uh, global CO2 emissions, right? So industrial world itself, 24, almost uh, one quarter. Then the agriculture, 22. So transportation with the 15. I'm not saying this is okay, definitely not, but this is not exceeding the others. Right? And what do automotive manufacturers have to do to get their CO2 emissions down in the end? I mean, for most of us, I don't know, me as a consumer, I'd probably say, hey, just produce more electric vehicles and problem solved. But I can imagine it's not that easy. It's probably more complicated. 
considering around 90% of emissions occur in the supply chain, not in the actual product. Am I right? Yes, you are. And thing is that going to electric is just like one part of the story. The other part is to have a visibility over the entire supply chain. The other way around, of course, it's a way how the product is being used, right? So that, and this is where the electrification, the mobility services definitely makes sense. So you're saying it's not that easy. Just say, hey, you know what? We're putting more electric vehicles out there. Automatically, the emissions will go down. That's just, it doesn't work that way. One plus one in this case does not equal two. Exactly. I mean, you're right. It's, it, but it's really more complex on that supply chain side of the business. And also when it comes to the production itself, to produce the electric battery, it is very or much more carbon intensive than production of the combustion car. Yeah, and I can imagine that gets even more complicated as you move farther away from the actual product towards the beginning of the entire process. It probably becomes more complicated to track that, to actually deliver the transparency you'd wish for the customer's demand, right? Exactly. I would say that, I mean, for many OEMs, that's a kind of like a new situation in terms that they need to run that uh, combustion engine production and uh, on the other, on the other hand, uh, the electric vehicles, right, production. So that's what makes it even more complex than focusing on the entire value chain. I mean, from a product going, let's say, backwards to the, as I said, like to the, for example, cobalt mine or something, uh, makes that even more challenging and challenging also for the data availability, the entire transparency. And the, the trust which is need to be built across that uh, entire value chain. Thank you, Jan. I also would like to add uh, something to this uh, interesting question, why it is more complicated. This reduction of emissions during a use phase of the products comes at the cost of an increase in efforts and energy used during the production of this good. I'll give you an example. A couple thousand photovoltaic cells cause higher energy and resource consumption during manufacturing and installation phase than a coal-fired power station, producing an equivalent amount of power. Mm -hmm. Same with electric versus combustion cars. Industry being responsible for the production of these products used to have a moderate share of anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions. But this increase in production efforts and decrease in use phase emissions will make the industry key sector for our transition into a post-fossil age. And that, that is why it makes it so complicated. So basically coming back to my question, for most of us, for laymen at least, it, you know, the easiest to just say, hey, let's produce more electric vehicles isn't that simple as it sounds. Once again, it is, as we just heard, a bit more complicated. But Gunta, since you do help, once again, other companies decarbonize their value chains, how is Siemens going about decarbonizing their own factories and drawing on this experience? What needs to be in place to decarbonize a value chain in the first place? Uh, what is certain in any case is that individual organizations like uh, also Siemens can make recognizable contributions towards net zero among their own operations. And as Jan also already laid out, when it comes to complete value chains, no company can manage the net zero transformation alone. We have to go into our supply chains and also start to decarbonize in a systemic collaboration with our suppliers. 
And for these, of course, we need to install the capability for carbon footprint monitoring. So you need the sensors, you need automation, you need digitalization, you need the precondition for generating transparency and, and identify concrete measures. Mm-hmm. But when we go back to what we're focusing on in this episode, the automotive industry, what needs to be considered here to decarbonize the value chain in particular? Maybe the first would be good to start with a vision. So mm-hmm. there is a vision. So 2050 organizations need to lower their carbon emissions by 90%, which is super tough target. So that's the vision. I mean, I would say that the relationship between the OEM and its supply chain I used to be more like in a way of like, uh, I tell you what to produce, how to produce the quality, quantity, what price. And I expect you deliver that on time in full mm-hmm. in quality, right? So that's, I would say that's a history because now, I mean, that relationship turns into the partnership. So they need to find a way how to decarbonize their environment, their products. So this is why it gets complex and the transparency and especially the trust is needed and you need still have to have an understanding of what's yeah. going on. So do you so, need a transparency in the technology behind it? So I think from an organizational standpoint, you make it very clear here that you have to bring all players to the table, which is already very difficult, but from a technological standpoint, and that was a nice segue into that, Jan, thank you very much to Gunther. From a technological point of view, what needs to be taken into consideration and, and where do you see the main challenges here? One encounters several challenges. So first, the information must be provided by the supplier. So you need to ask your supplier, please give me the emissions of the module or the product you're providing. And that is often already a burden due to lack of knowledge of the supplier. And then secondly, the data must be shared efficiently along the supply chain. You you need to, to get this data in a very efficient way. You don't want to dive into Excel slides or files and and, and call uh, one by one of your suppliers. And then to share information is an inbuilt challenge. Um, If you want to trust the shared data, you need details. Mm -hmm. But the details in general are related with confidential data. With other words, you would need background information on processes, data sources, procedures, subcontractor structure, and so on. And in general, no company wants to disclose this as it could limit their competitiveness or maybe they have other ideas what they do with their data so they don't want to share it. But the result of these activities obviously is a huge amount of data. What could you possibly do with it all? With everything, you get data and you would like to get, of course, you want to convert them into information and then into actions. So first, you generate transparency. That's always the first. And it allows you to identify the main contributors to the overall emission footprint. That is the goal. Nowadays, product-related emission values are usually determined using so-called life cycle assessment data, which are average values available from databases. This is a good starting point, especially if the product does not yet physically exist or during the engineering phase and no primary data are available. Nevertheless, they are averaged values. And if you want to make an impact, if you want to take actions to sustainably reduce the product's carbon footprint, sooner or later, you must switch to real data. So first, this is what you do. You need transparency to 
uh, define which are which actions you are taking to drive down your product carbon footprint. What is the good thing on this? In in nature, everything follows the rules 80-20 or at least 70-30. So with 20 to 30 percent of the components you can quickly cover 70 to 80% of the emissions. With the transparency gained, you can set targets, initiate measures, and, and check the effectiveness. Where does the leverage take place when we switch from average data to actionable, to real data, as you just mentioned? Lifecycle assessment data are averaged values and available from databases. So uh, if you extract your information, you need to apply the rule of three. So you look at the weight of your product and compare it to the value which the database gives you. But it's an average data. And one example, without naming the product, we looked at the value of a product in such a uh, database, and it was uh, the average of 111 single uh, measurements. So. You can imagine then what is the variance of values in there. So if you really would like now to take actions for your specific product, you cannot rely on averages because you don't know if you really will make an impact. That's the first thing. The second is during the lifetime of a product, suppliers are changing their processes. Also, you might switch from one supplier to another. This has a direct impact on the carbon emission because the one supplier is on location A, the other supplier is on location B, which are maybe on the opposite side of the globe. So if you really would like to make an impactful decision, you should not use and uh, rely on average data. It's a good starting point. Like I said, when you come from engineering, you would like to design your product as less as emission impactful as possible. But then later when it it is born to life, the, the, the product you need to track and trace real data. And, and this is, I guess, where Siemens also comes into play to shed light on these areas and help basically to bridge these gaps in a way. What is Siemens offering for the automotive industry to make this happen? Gunther? There is a huge portfolio, of course, and Siemens is offering from building technology to transparency and supply chain software. And then also we are offering Z-Green. I think that is a very interesting for our discussion. Z-Green is a unique solution to track and trace trustworthy carbon emission values along the entire supply chain without giving up uh, the data sovereignty or disclosing any confidential information. So... It's, it's a software as a solution already recognized by chemical and automotive industry and also assures methodical consistency. So in general, with C-Green, companies can request free of charge emissions data from their direct suppliers and combine it with their own emissions to derive a broader carbon footprint that is based on real values. And this allows companies to quantify the effectiveness of the decarbonization efforts. And this is what the companies want. They want to show what they're doing, of course, because it's a differentiator for the product. So in general, our solution makes it possible for companies to communicate on their carbon emission across the entire supply chain. Now, maybe we could shed some light on a specific issue facing auto manufacturers in regard to electric vehicles. 
Jan, you're you're probably familiar with the required electric battery passports, I think they call them, which will be in place 2026. Can you tell us more about this, Jan? Yeah, you, uh, you're absolutely right. And I think that this is a right move towards the standardization, towards the, I would say, visibility, transparency, uh, which is definitely needed, right? And I mean, there's an organization which is called a Global Better Association, which is, I would say, originator and is behind that thought. So, and generally speaking, I mean, there's going to be like an instrument for implementing the global vision of, let's say, being sustainable, being responsible, and being circular. And technically, what does it really mean is that every battery or the product of this kind is going to get a printed or engraved QR code, right? I mean, the idea behind it is to have like a digital twin of that product. All information related to the product are being stored and being accessible and where the companies could, uh, I mean, provide certain, for example, a carbon footprint. But this is not just about uh, that, that, right? It's about a production date, type, model, chemical composition, and, and so on. So it really should provide the, the market, the comprehensive view on the product. In this case, that's a, that's a battery, right? The idea is to broaden that, I mean, to some other products. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the battery passport or product passport is a facilitator and an enabler for the circular economy so that you can make really decisions what would be for the environment the best next step. So you can reuse it or you refurbish or repair or you recycle. Uh, but you need to know what is uh, the, the situation of this product to make the next best decision, because just to recycle everything is not the best decision for the environment. And so so it, it will be a facilitator for the circularity, what we are going into. And battery is such a valuable part of, of the car. So it makes totally sense to start here. And as Jan already mentioned, it will allow customers, of course, to collect and share data from the battery and enables the, the compliance with regulations and like the EU directive. I have to say, in the midst of all this, I'm happy that people like you are taking care of these these issues, are putting thought into it, are uh, contributing hours and hours and, and actually coming up with solutions that will benefit all in the future. Um, that's great to hear. But in the beginning, we heard the automotive industry is obviously a huge contributor to CO2 emissions. No secret in that. But we've heard about solutions available today to get that number down, thanks to you. What do we need to focus on in the next couple of years to achieve our CO2 reduction targets in the industry? Jan, maybe you want to start? Okay, I think it's data, like that absolute transparency. And it's not just about recycling, but also about reusing the things, remanufacturing those things, right? Because this is also matter. So keeping that loop closed or closed in terms of within the automotive industry. But if you open that loop, you find out that you can reuse some of the materials also in some other industries. And that is what it's about, right? Connections of the industries and economies. And this is where the world should be going to. And Gunther, how about you? Maybe putting me a little bit in the shoes of the next generations, I would say we definitely have to speed up as we will reach 
2.5 degrees already uh, by 2050 if we mm -hmm. continue to act like we do at the moment. We need to start. We have the knowledge. We have the technology. This is no future vision. We have market-ready products. You can implement them today. You need to start now. We also need more systemic collaboration, uh, which for me is a vital component of our journey. So we need collaboration cross-sectorial and over all levels, as well as between the public and private sectors, because we will not uh, solve this issue alone or as individual companies. And we can do more. I mean, one example, we from Siemens have been, among other companies, academia and startups, founding the Estanium Association, which addresses the value chain data sharing. And we really would like to take the C out of the supply chain. So maybe all our audience, maybe join us. That would be great. That would be absolutely great. But first, I'd like to thank the audience for joining us on this podcast, for listening. I hope... Uh, you gained some valuable insights. I can surely say that I did. Stay tuned for our next episode. And also for more information, just visit our webpage, www.siemens.com. Thank you once again for listening. Take good care and hear you soon. Bye-bye.